Good day, brothers and sisters, and welcome to New Creation Realities. And we're going to continue with our lessons, Let There Be Light. And <clears throat> I want to just go ahead and continue where we had left off just a little bit from our previous lessons. And I wanted to, uh, for this particular lesson, I wanted to just basically kind of look at and consider the testimony and the gospel. And before I do, I just want to um, just mention a little bit about myself. And uh, I, I, I've probably already done this in different lessons, but just to get us thinking in a particular manner, and you're going to re you pr you'll probably relate to a lot of this, <clears throat> and you'll see how it comes into play as we go on with today's lesson. So, a little history about myself. Uh, I'm currently about 43, 44, 45, somewhere in there. And I was born again at the age of 20 in 1992. I graduated Bible school in 2001. And God, in his tender mercy and ever-bounding grace, directed my heart under the face of Jesus Christ in the year 2008. Since that time... The Spirit of God has been very singular, or shall I say, since that time, I have become aware that the Spirit of God is very singular. That is, He directs, He guides unto the person of the truth, who is Christ Himself, whether we realize it or not. <clears throat> this is what the Spirit of God has been doing. I also want to read a verse in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that the Apostle Paul actually recorded. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But Christ lives in me. That would be the moment of new birth. And then actually going a little backwards, <laughs> because now I want us to look at <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. And this is the Apostle Paul after he's been speaking a little bit before he was born again, how he persecuted the church and wasted it. In verse 15, he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's verse uh, 15 through 16. <clears throat> so you have this... this uh, this progression that the heart and soul of Paul has come by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's first unto new birth, where it is Christ who lives in the soul. And then, by the same work of the Holy Spirit, we're now Christ where God the Father reveals Christ his Son in the heart of Paul. <clears throat> and to me, that's basically repentance that is granted of God when the heart turns to the Lord. Now, all the time before you were born again, because I recognized it as well with myself, all the time before a soul is born again, the Holy Spirit is working, preparing the ground of the heart for one thing, and that is to receive the eternal seed of God. Before, you can look at it even in the natural, at a, at a perfect example of a desert. Why do we call it a desert? A desert because there's no life present. So before the eternal seed of God, who Christ himself is, before the seed of God is present in the ground, that is, in the soul, there's no life present. 
And so the Holy Spirit prepares the ground of the heart, the ground of the soul, to receive the eternal seed of God, who is Christ Jesus himself. All right? Once that happens, that is the moment of new birth. From that moment onward, the Holy Spirit does not change what he's doing. No. Now, he continues preparing the ground of the heart so that the heart may come in knowledge unto where the soul has already been brought in reality the moment of new birth. This is when God the Father reveals his Son who is present in the land, in the soul. Now, God the Father can only reveal his Son if his Son is present. You must be born again. Okay, so we who are born again, once again, all with purpose, we who are born again, all that we have been learning about God, all that we have been learning from classes, uh, from Sunday services, from classes, from lessons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And everything that we have, everything and anything that we have experienced of God whether that be miracles, signs, wonders, healings, etc., etc., etc. God has been using all these things, all this, and when I say all these things, I mean all the things of God to serve His one purpose, the appearing of His Son. First, once again, Christ appears where there was not life before, where he was not before, and now he is present in the soul. From that moment onward, now the Spirit of God works so that now the light of life may appear, that there may be light to behold the life who is present in the land. So Christ first appears, as life in the soul, this is the moment of new birth, then Christ appears as the light of life, the light of the life that is present. First, we come from death unto life. Then we come from darkness unto light. That is the mind, the natural mind of man unto the eternal, give me a second, it wasn't in my notes, (laughs) eternal mind of God, the mind of Christ. At the moment of new birth, now, when, when God the Father makes known His Son, when God the Father, by the work of the Holy Spirit, brings our heart in knowledge from ignorance the mind of man, the natural mind of man, unto the eternal mind of God, Christ himself, where God the Father reveals, makes known his Son who's present in the soul. When this happens, everything does not change at that moment. No. No. Everything changes at the moment of new birth. That is when the eternal change comes to the soul where it is not I, but Christ. Where once there was death, now there, now there is life. Now, we become aware and we begin to walk in this change the moment that God the Father reveals His Son. Because after we're born again, we still, our hearts are still submitted unto the natural mind. We, we still go with what is familiar. Now, remember how I mentioned a little bit about my own history. When I was born again at the age of 20, there had been 19 years before of death. And that is all I knew. That is all I was familiar with. My heart was submitted unto what was familiar. 
the natural mind, the mind of Adam. But what we are mostly familiar with, brothers and sisters, may or may not be the truth. I was familiar with death and darkness, and that's the way we all are, until God, by the work of His Spirit, reveals His Son, who is the light of the life in our soul. And then we begin to become familiar with the truth. So the purpose, God created the soul for one purpose, Christ his son. The testimony, God speaks to Abraham concerning this. We see this in the testimony. God speaks to Abraham concerning this, concerning a seed, a son, an heir for his inheritance. Now, uh, you can see this. One of the very first mentions of this is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through through 3 and verse 7. And in verse 7, uh, the Lord is saying to your descendants, I'll just go ahead and go there real quick. And we'll read that verse, Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So you, now you've got, you've got an heir and an inheritance. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Well, the word descendants, I know it's right here written in the plural, but if you actually look at it, literally it is seed, and it is masculine and singular. We looked at this in, a, in the School of Christ classes concerning the journey of Abraham, the journey of the heart. But So let me read it again with what it literally says. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your seed masculine singular, even as Paul would just jump on this and say, look, guys, unto the seed where the promise is made. Seed, as in Christ, masculine singular, not seeds, plural, as in many, but as of one, even Christ. Even right here, to your seed, I will give this land. And so there you see just the the purpose of the soul, the land, is the seed. The soul is the inheritance of the Son of God. The soul, your soul, my soul, every created soul is the inheritance of the Son of God, who is the seed, the seed of God. The Holy Spirit labors in every soul to prepare the ground of the soul to receive the eternal seed of God, Christ himself, that there may be life. Remember, if no seed is present, the ground is barren. The ground is dead, a desert. Once again, the Holy Spirit labors in in every every soul to prepare the ground of the soul to receive the eternal seed of God, Christ himself, that there may be life, new birth, to bring the land unto purpose, the purpose for which God created it. Before, Before the seed is present, before Christ is present in the soul, there is no life, only death. Now, when the seed is present, when Christ is present in the soul, Life is present. In the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit faithfully labors upon the ground of the heart and soul to that it may be able to receive all that God created the soul to receive in the person of Christ His Son. This is what God does for every and in every soul. God created every soul for the same purpose. Christ, his son, nothing less. The soul will never, you can chop that word down, the soul will never be satisfied apart from Christ, and nor will the heart be satisfied apart from Christ. 
When purpose, Christ himself, is in the soul, the soul has been brought unto the purpose of God himself. That is Christ. When purpose, Christ himself, is in the soul, then the soul has been brought unto the purpose of God. Now, lacking nothing. We touched on this a little bit in our previous lessons. At the moment of new birth, the soul has everything that God created the soul to have. There is nothing lacking because there is nothing lacking to Christ. He lacks nothing. The life of the believer is perfect because the believer's life is Christ. Nothing is lacking to our life, we who are born again. The question is, brothers and sisters, let me jot that down, is do we know who is our life? That's the big question. Do we actually know who is our life? Because until God the Father reveals, makes known unto our heart who our life is, all that we have, we who are born again, all that we have is what is familiar. What is familiar is what was before we were born again. Death and darkness. But since we do have life, what is familiar unto us is only our ignorance, only our concept. Because, brothers and sisters, for the one who is born again, death is not present. Life is present. I will say, darkness is not present, but light is present. The Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos said, I heard the voice speaking to me, and I turned to see the voice. And a beautiful description of Christ, the Son of God. But the description that he gives is one of light. So if he hears this voice and he's not beholding the light, then what is it that he is seeing? That which is not light, that which is not Christ himself, though light is present in the person of Christ. Right? <clears throat> what is there when there is no life? Death. What is there when there is no light? Darkness. I asked those uh, questions in our previous lesson. Now concerning true repentance. Repentance is not saying, Lord, I did this wrong, I'm sorry, etc. Or forgive me for what I did, this right here, and help me to do what is right. Help me to do what is other than that. That's not repentance. Now, please don't misunderstand. You should do that. <laughs> I do that. You should do that. That is what we should do. You know, if you trespass, ask forgiveness, but that's not repentance. True repentance is when the heart turns to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, repentance Remember, repentance must be granted of God. We saw that in a previous lesson. Or maybe it was a different class. <laughs> repentance must be granted. You can look at that. Just look at this, search the terms granted and repentance. Repentance is granted of God. And also, even I believe it's Isaiah where the Lord says, This people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. So in vain do they worship me, teaching as commandments the doctrines of man. <clears throat> to me, there, there is basically two repentances. The first repentance is to receive Christ, the great eternal change for the soul. The second repentance is to receive the knowledge of Christ, the removal of the veil. The theme the removal of the veil. At that moment, the theme, the declaration is Christ from that moment onward.
when the heart turns to the Lord and God the Father reveals the Son who is present. Let there be light. Now, concerning from death unto life, when there is no life, there is death. When there is no light, there is darkness. Our ignorance, our concepts, the natural knowledge of the first man, Adam, which exists, listen to this, below, among the dead. It will always be one or the other. It won't be it won't be a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of me. No, 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 no. Remember, listen, listen to this. At the moment of new birth, the eternal change came to our soul. Since that moment, it literally has been not I, but Christ. Not death, but life. There's no little Jesus there. Jesus does not have to grow there. No, no, no. At the moment of new birth, the soul receives the fullness, the fullness of the resurrection. The fullness, not a little bit, not a little part. The fullness. I I think I read, forgive me, I can't remember what book it was or what, um, yeah, what, what, lesson it was of sparks but he said that we have basically the following we have not received a small christ and i'll say if there's anything small brothers and sisters if there's anything lacking it is that which our heart is submitted unto what is lacking is our heart being submitted unto the knowledge of god that's what is lacking And the Holy Spirit does not leave us helpless or alone or without help. No. Remember, the Holy Spirit is laboring, laboring upon the ground of our heart to direct our heart and bring our heart from being submitted unto the mind of man, which is complete ignorance and darkness. Remember, right here, the dashed square, unto which is found below among the dead, it's a, it's a natural knowledge of the dead where there is darkness from our heart being submitted unto the natural mind of Adam below unto the eternal mind of Christ above. <clears throat> the natural knowledge of the first man, Adam, which exists below in darkness among the dead. Now, Just a natural example, when a person dies in the natural, they bury them. When they are buried, there is no light in the burial. When they're buried, underground, there is no light in the burial. But it's really neat too, just because, (laughs) sorry, just the, in Christ we have passed from death unto life by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if you think about it, it's in the burial where there is a change, listen, from one body to another, a visible change from one body to another. The soul before new birth was buried below the surface among the dead. There was no life, there was no light, and we had no hope whatsoever. We had past tense. Now, during that time, before we were born again, we could learn a religion, we could learn a doctrine, we could go to a church building, we could... Uh, hear a preaching or a teaching or a Sunday sermon, we could do all those things. And please do not misunderstand. God can use all those things. In fact, God can use that for your soul to be born again in the midst of that. But what I am saying is that apart from God, we can do, we can do, we can do. And if God does not perform a miracle, then we continue Our soul continues dead among the dead.
If God does not perform a miracle so that this soul receives the son, the promised seed, then our soul continues in the condition of death below among the dead with no light. This is the condition of every soul that has not been born again. God has had mercy upon us who are born again. And why do I say mercy? It is because, my brothers and sisters, with man, it is impossible. With man, it is impossible for there to be life in the soul. And with man, who has life in the soul, it is impossible to know the life that is present. This all requires a miracle of God from beginning to end. It is what God does. This is not what man does. Man can do nothing. Concerning that which is of eternal weight and value, man can do nothing. The Holy Spirit labors in the heart and soul to be able to receive the seed of God. Concerning the revelation of the Son, when Christ, the seed of God, is present in the soul, the soul is now in Christ, in the land of the living, above, because before new birth, the soul was among the dead below. The soul is now in Christ, in the land of the living, in resurrection above in Christ. You know the verse I'm thinking of where the Lord speaks I misspelled that (laughs) where the Lord speaks to Moses to tell the children of Israel you saw, beautiful testimony you saw what I did to the Egyptians all the miracle signs and wonders in the land of Egypt all the judgments in the land of Egypt and finally God sending his lamb his perfect lamb making and revealing his perfect lamb so that they may kill the Passover and put the blood upon the doorposts and lintel and go in through the house and eat the lamb and then come out into the burial, the Red Sea, and see all of Egypt, all that is dead, come to death as well, and only the sun, only life, come out of the burial. You saw that what I did to the Egyptians and how that I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. When Christ, the seed of God, is present in the soul, the soul is now in Christ, in resurrection, above in Christ. Very specific, not just above, no, in Christ. No longer buried below among the dead. Buried below among the dead is in, well, let me write that again, is in Adam. In resurrection above is in Christ. There's nothing lacking to our salvation. Our salvation is Christ. God does not give unto our soul anything less than the person of his son. For us who are born again, if anything, listen to this word. If For us who are born again, if anything appears to be lacking, appears. It is because there is no light that the heart is submitted unto. For us who are born again, if anything appears to be lacking, it is because our heart is not submitted unto the light, unto the knowledge of God. Man is drawn, once again, to what is familiar. And what is familiar, my brothers and sisters? With my example of my own experience, what was familiar for me for 20 years was death and darkness. And I called death life, and I called darkness light. Even after I was first born again. But all that is done in ignorance. And the security of our salvation is not dependent upon our ignorance or our knowledge. No. It is not based upon what we, brothers and sisters, know. 
It is based upon what God knows, and God the Father knows the Son. Jesus said this, No man knoweth the Son, but the Father. And no man knoweth the Father, but the Son. And here is the hope that God gives for those who are born again. And he unto whom he will reveal him. It will never be our knowledge, brothers and sisters. Our knowledge is the knowledge of the natural man, the first man, Adam. That's our knowledge. It will never be our knowledge. Our heart will either be submitted unto our knowledge, which is complete darkness, or unto the eternal knowledge of God, who is Christ himself. One or the other, I or Christ. It's very simple. It's very simple. There is no mixture. There is no, well, uh, you know, on these things, uh, on these things, I've got it down as Jesus. And on these other things, I don't got it down yet. It's not yet Jesus. No, there's none of that. No, there's none of that. Our hearts are either submitted unto ignorance, which is the wisdom, knowledge, understanding of man, the first man, Adam, which God calls ignorance, darkness, or our heart is submitted unto the eternal knowledge, the eternal wisdom, the eternal understanding, who is Christ himself, which God calls light. One or the other. With the first, man can glory in his progress. With the other, man glories in God alone, in what God hath done, and how, in how that God has been merciful. It is not, once again, based upon him who wills or him who runs, but upon God who shows mercy. We will become more and more convinced of this if we continue on in the Lord. Man is drawn to what is familiar. Death and darkness. The first thing that God does in a creation. Once again, Genesis. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The very first thing that God does in a creation. The Holy Spirit is laboring so that we may be able to receive the light of life. Before the Holy Spirit was laboring, that we would receive life. From that moment of new birth, the Holy Spirit continues laboring, but now that we may receive the light of life. Once a new creation has appeared in the soul and our souls have been brought unto the new creation of God, Christ Jesus, the first thing God does in a creation is say, let there be light. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse six. Now, where it differs, <clears throat> where it differs, is that in the testimony, you see it. Oh, it's beautiful. No, it doesn't differ. It doesn't differ because the Apostle Paul basically quotes it accurately when he says, "As God, who commanded." the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. He didn't say soul, but in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Nothing apart from his son. We might as well just settle, you know, be, be established and settled in that. There's nothing apart from Christ. Nothing of God, at least. When God reveals His Son, the light of the world, we begin, at that moment, we begin to walk in light, in the truth, in Christ. Now, religious man always, not just sometimes, no, religious man, the natural mind, any heart of a believer that is submitted unto the natural mind, unto what has been, past tense, familiar, death and darkness, which is ignorance, our concepts. Religious man always presents something 
less than Christ. That's what man does. God, on the other hand, only presents Christ as Son. This is what God does. I don't do this. You don't do this. No man does this. No, not one. No man does this. God alone does this. Remember what Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. This is what God does. Now concerning the gospel, how many gospels are there? Truly, there's only one, one gospel. In the New Testament, four different evangelists declare the same, the same gospel. Gospel being good news, the same good news. There's not many good news, newses. Not sure how you say that plural. <laughs> news I. <laughs> There's only one good news. Listen, of God. The gospel, uh, and we find it written. In, I know in some Bibles they've taken this out, but it used to be there. The gospel, singular, according to Matthew. The gospel, singular, according to Mark. The gospel, according to Luke. The gospel, according to John. Because they were all beholding the same one. The only good news God has for the soul. Man, on the other hand, we know. Man one week will say, oh, this is good news for us. And then the following week or following month or following year say, oh, no, this is good news for us. This is good and this is good and this is good and this is good. And Jesus basically says there's none good but God. Jesus also says no man can come unto the Father except through me. To find anything of God, our hearts must find it in the person of Jesus Christ. Or we will not find it, brothers and sisters, at all. These evangelist, evangelists are typified by four faces. I'm not sure why I jotted this down, but I'll read it anyway. With Matthew, uh, they have it represented as the lion with Mark, the man with Luke, the ox, with John, the eagle. This is Easton's Bible Dictionary concerning the gospel, concerning the word gospels. There are four historical accounts. I love that. Four historical accounts of the person and work of Christ. Four historical accounts of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The first by Matthew announcing the Redeemer as the promised king. Of the kingdom of God, the second by Mark, declaring him uh, him a prophet mighty indeed in word, the third by Luke, of whom it might be said that he represents Christ in the special character of the Savior of sinners, the fourth by John, who represents Christ as the Son of God, in whom deity and humanity become one. Now, here's where I got that. The ancient church gave... To Matthew, the symbol of the lion. To Mark, that of a man. To Luke, that of the ox. And to John, that of the eagle. These were the four faces of the cherubim mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10. Now some, I will add this, some see Mark as an ox and Luke as a man. And that I have, uh, those are just some other interpretations. And you can look at my notes online. That comes from the Four Gospels commentary, a testimony of Jesus Christ, where they see Mark as an ox and Luke as a man. But the ancient church fathers, the ancient church, gave to uh, Mark that of the face of a man and to Luke the face of an ox. So, <clears throat> but they are still four faces, four for lack of a better word, dimensions of the same person. 
Now, the eagle symbolizes that which is above the eternal. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The gospel is for all. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12, it says, He will set him, he will set up a banner for the nations. This banner, of course, is Christ Himself. And will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The complete, the completeness to be gathered unto the banner who is Christ himself. The gospel is for all brothers and sisters. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. With Christ is, excuse me, with God, it is not a matter of whether one is Jew or Gentile. No, with God is, the issue is whether the soul has life or the soul doesn't have life. And God created every soul, brothers and sisters, to have life as Christ's Son. The four evangelists in the New Testament were declaring the one perfect gospel. They were declaring the same one, Jesus Christ, a perfect gospel because they were declaring Christ. The epistles declare the same. The totality of the epistles are declaring the person of Christ, both both the gospel according to the four evangelists and the epistles declare Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. What they present to man, whether Jew or Gentile, what they present to the soul, whether born again or not, is Christ from the testimony. Very importance upon the testimony. Now, the tables of the law, the testimony. Moses would go up. This is, this is once the Lord delivered the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. And now, remember what the verse that we quoted earlier? You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings unto myself. In testimony, the body is in resurrection while their physical tents are in a wilderness of ignorance. And so during this time, Moses, the heart of Moses, I say heart because it's all in knowledge at this point, the heart coming from the knowledge of man to the knowledge of God, because remember what God hath done? You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how that I bore you on eagle's wings unto myself. In testimony, they are in resurrection, whether they see it with their natural eye or not, whether they understand it with the natural brain or not. And in fact, brothers and sisters, you cannot see it with your natural eye. You cannot understand it with your natural brain just as much as you cannot see your soul. But God can. Moses would go up and speak with God face to face. His heart would turn unto the Lord. His heart in knowledge would come above unto God. Versus the heart of the people in knowledge, remember our previous lesson, turned back below unto Egypt. In their hearts they returned to Egypt. Acts chapter 7, verse 39. Let's go ahead and read that. <clears throat> because here they are in the wilderness of what I call ignorance. All the while, all fullness is present. Christ himself being present. Acts chapter 7, verse 39. This is the 
speech of Stephen unto all the Jews, unto all the Sanhedrin, unto all the leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. I'll start with verse 38. This is he, Moses, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who who received the, and our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. Still speaking to Moses, whom our fathers would not obey. They wouldn't obey Moses. They wouldn't obey the testimony that God gave to Moses to give unto the people. They wouldn't obey him, but rejected, rejected him and rejected what God had given unto him to present to the whole entire body. They rejected the knowledge of God, but rejected. And in their hearts, not in reality, remember, after the after the death of the Lamb, after going through the Red Sea, they are in testimony in resurrection. Pharaoh is not present. Egypt is not present. They literally have come from death unto life. But in their hearts, in knowledge, in understanding, their hearts being submitted unto the natural mind, they turned back to Egypt unto what was familiar. Remember, they were, they were dead among the dead for 400 years. Generation after generation after generation after generation. What do you think they began to know during that time? Death among the dead. Slaves to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, do that or do this. What? What? There's no options. They automatically do it. But once God had delivered them, Pharaoh was not present. A new king was present in the midst. In fact, the glory of God, the king, was ruling and reigning in their midst, whether they knew it or not. They were governed by a new kingdom. A cloud by day and a fire by night. They were governed by the glory of God, whether they recognized it or not. The ten words declaring the one singular living word. This is Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 through 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose. I like all these words. Moses arose, I mean, even the way the Lord says this, come up to me. Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up to the mountain of God, the heart turning unto the Lord. And and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let them go to them. Then Moses went up. Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord, here we go, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up. I love that. And went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. And when he... That was what we just read was Exodus chapter 24. And then the Lord just begins speaking to Moses. Verse 30, excuse me, chapter 31 is still in Exodus. Now verse 18, when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, when God had made an end, when the Lord had made an end of speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets 
of the testimony. Tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And I know we have it almost ingrained into our head, ingrained into our mind, because we read it here and there. The Ten Commandments. But right here it's very clearly said, two tablets of testimony. This is Exodus chapter 32 going on into the next chapter, verse 15 through 16. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And the two tablets, here we go, the two and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written, look at this, on both sides. On the one side and on the other, they were written. Now, the tablets were the work of God, not the work of man. And the writing was the writing of God, not the writing of man, engraved on the tablets. So two tablets written on both sides, on the front and on the back. The testimony with four aspects, four faces, four dimensional of the perfect one. Remember, the testimony declares Christ, the perfect one. And here, uh, you can search it out. The number four, it means complete, basically. The, the number four in the scriptures, is it's complete. That's why there are, are four accounts of, or four evangelists who declare the one gospel. God, now going on with the four evangelists, <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> I'll read again the testimony. Remember the two tables of testimony written on both sides, front and back. Four faces, four aspects, four dimensions to the same person, the same one. God chose, now in the New Testament, God chose from within his church, God chose from within his church, from God chose four from within his church who in their hearts would go above. Their hearts were turned unto the Lord. They heard the eternal voice. They they turned and were seeing the eternal voice, seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just like Moses. And they would descend with the words of God, the gospel that they presented, which words declared Christ the one singular living word of God. To present them not only to the church, but to all the world, to the whole creation, every soul just as Moses did, first unto the Jew, then unto the Gentile. For the one who has life, that is the Christian, the believer, then for the one who does not have life. The the Ten Commandments is literally the ten words. You, You can look at that up. You can look that up. It literally means the ten words. So here, with example, with the testimony of Moses, God gives him... Ten words written on both sides of two tablets that declare the one living word who is Christ his son. Now, was Moses like the rest of the children uh, of Israel in the wilderness? The answer should be no, he wasn't. Did Moses act like the rest of the children 
of Israel in the wilderness? No. Why? Because the heart of Moses continued to turn above and behold, listen, the truth in the face of God versus the children of Israel, their heart turning below, beholding ignorance and darkness in the face of the first man, Adam. The children of Israel only knew what was familiar to them in Egypt, death among the dead. Remember, this is Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 through 6. Now the mixed multitude who were among, the, who were among them yielded, Numbers chapter 11, yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember, there you go, what is familiar. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now, look at this very sadly, but now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all. Uh, truly, they said that in truth, brothers, and sisters, there is nothing of death. There is nothing of darkness at all. Well, except their hearts submitted unto darkness. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. God was presenting them time and time again the truth of the one who was eternally now present in the midst. They saw not the fullness of Christ who is present. All they did was remember what was familiar unto them. Death, darkness. The only good, or every person, when remembering the past, this is just, you don't have to be born again to know this. This is just a fact. Every person, when remembering the, the past, will only <laughs> remember what they consider to be good. L listen to the phrase, the good old days. Brothers and sisters, there are no good old days. The only good there is, was, and is, and will ever be, is in their midst. They said it was better and that supposedly they lacked nothing while dead and in bondage. They said this because of ignorance. They did not know that all fullness was present in the person of Christ himself. They did not know that all fullness was present in the person of Christ himself. The hearts of Moses and other leaders turned unto the Lord, and they saw no lack. They knew the one who was in the midst, though the children of Israel did not. But remember, God continued faithfully, presenting unto them the testimony time and time and time again that the Spirit of God could use that testimony and direct their hearts unto the truth above. Because their hearts were directed unto ignorance below. The issue, the issue is not to act or not act a certain way. Because Moses acted quite differently than the whole body of the children of Israel. We know that. Moses didn't murmur, gripe, and complain. The children of Israel, that's what they did. But the issue is not to act or not act a certain way. The issue for one not born again is that there may be life, Christ present in the soul. The issue for the one born again, the one who is born again, is that there may be the light of life, the knowledge of God. The glory of God. 
In Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, it says, Now it was so, when Moses came down from the mount from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand. Here we go. The two tablets of testimony, once again, were in his hand. When he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him, glowing, reflecting the glory of God in his face. Here we go. (laughs) We want the world to see the glory of God in our face, or at least the church does. We want to see, we want the world to see something of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's impossible. Moses was a testimony of Jesus Christ. The only one who has the glory of God, Jesus Christ, because he is the glory of God. Remember when Jesus was was sent of the Father, Jesus of Nazareth? Nobody recognized him. Here is the glory of God in their midst. Nobody recognized him. Nobody saw him. God the Father had to reveal the one who is present. And we think we can do better? No, impossible. If we see Christ, we would see the glory of God in his face. Once again, who recognized Jesus Christ with the natural eyes? No one. The glory of God is seen when the heart, by the work of the Holy Spirit, the ability and power of God, the miracle of God, turns and sees the face of Christ, who is the glory of God. You must be born again. You must be a follower follower of Jesus Christ to see the glory of God. Real quick quick example with the tabernacle. In uh, the outer wall of the tabernacle was seven and a half feet high. Exodus chapter 27, verse 18, it says, The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the width 50 50, uh, the width 50 throughout, and the height, the height, five cubits, basically seven and a half feet, made of fine woven linen and its sockets of bronze. I'm about 5'8", so maybe a foot higher is 6'8", let's say seven, seven and a half. If I'm going up to a wall that's seven and a half feet, I surely can't see what's on the other side. I would have to be inside to see anything that is going on. That's my statement. You had to be inside to see anything that was on the inside. The only way, listen, the world will see the glory of God is if Christ is present in their soul. The only way the church will see the glory of God because Christ is present, the glory of God, whom already is present in their soul, is if, this is the church, the Holy Spirit labors in the heart to direct and guide our heart from our ignorance, the knowledge of man, unto the knowledge of God, from uh, looking into a natural face unto looking into the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ, we will see the glory of God with the eye of the heart, with the eye of the soul, with the the eye of the understanding, not with the natural eye. Remember, no one knew Christ when he was sent of the Father. Just as, oh, here we go, the Mount of Transfiguration. I know I'm going a little over on this, but this is the last page of notes right here. The Mount of Transfiguration. Think about it. We won't, we won't turn there. We won't look at it. But just think about it. Jesus had to bring his disciples up to see his glory. He took Peter, James, and John. He brought them up the mountain so that they could behold his glory. One must be brought above to see. 
the soul of the believer who is already born again, who is born again, has the soul of the believer, the one who's born again, has already been brought above in reality. You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings unto myself. This is the moment of new birth. Remember, because they ate the lamb and the lamb was now on the inside. Because the lamb is on the inside, they are now found in the lamb who is their salvation, their life, their deliverance, their everything of God. Everything that God presented and promised to the children of Israel while they were dead among the dead was to be found in the person of his son. For the one, for the soul of the believer, the one who's born again, the resurrection is present in the soul of the one born again. Christ is present. The soul has and is in, the soul has come and is in resurrection. Just like the testimony declares, whether the children of Israel saw it, recognized it, believed it or not, only those whose hearts went up to meet with God saw the truth in the face of God. We walk in the truth once again. We walk in the resurrection. We walk in the light. We who are born again, when our heart is turned to see the face of the truth, the face of the resurrection, the face of the light, who is Christ himself. The heart coming in knowledge, it is the heart coming in knowledge unto where our soul has already been brought in reality at the moment of new birth. This is all a miracle of God, brothers and sisters, and this is God's good pleasure to do. This is what God created our soul for. A perfect gospel declaring only one. And we looked at this our last lesson, but I'll end it with this. The law is the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Pentateuch, the first five books. John chapter 5, verses 45 through 47. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if... If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? May the Spirit of God take everything and use everything and anything, even the testimony to direct and guide under the person, the true light of the world. Amen. Amen. Please present this to the Holy Spirit, our true teacher. May he take that whichever he desires to take, use that which he desires to use for God's end and God's purpose, God's will. Amen. Lord bless. We'll see you in our next lesson. Amen.